Welcome to Junior L's and Now What? Interlude episode 123.3, episode 131. So I'm doing something a little different with this episode, something that I have, as far as I remember, never done in the past. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Sunday sermons aren't what most other faiths would consider typical. Instead of having a pastor or a priest or a person of similar uh, authority um, get up and give all the sermons each and every Sunday, instead, uh, the the members get up and they do them uh, per direction and counsel from the leaders. And so I have had numerous opportunities to do this very thing over the course of my life. Now, I will say that because we're given topics in advance that sometimes we're familiar with and sometimes we're not, um, sometimes it's been more difficult to come up with a talk that um, uh, I feel, or sermon, or you want to call it, comfortable in sharing, um, because I want to feel confident in the the topic the, my, themselves, my, the subject. I want to understand them. And so... Uh, this was one of those opportunities where I was given a topic that I felt I could really sink my teeth into and really enjoy and really share something with. And I will tell you that as with every time I've ever given a talk or asked to teach a lesson, the uh, the instructor, if they do their job right, will learn more than the student. And this is no different for me. Um, I learned some things and I came to some conclusions that I felt really could impact and change my life. Things that, even though I gave this talk months ago, um, really I think about every day still. Uh, Things that I think will influence me for the rest of my life. Um, So, the reason I'm telling you all of this is because I have felt that this talk, even though it doesn't fit in line with all of the other stuff that I've been sharing on my podcast recently... um, at its core, it still fulfills the purpose of this podcast, which is to share things to help you as the listener and in turn myself to find ways of improving ourselves, to becoming better than who and what we are. And some of that comes from just expanding our knowledge and our understanding of the world, the universe, and most particularly of God. So, I'm going to share this talk, and uh, this talk I gave October 10th of 2021. So from the time that this podcast will officially air, uh, it will have been a good four months or so. Um, So please bear with me because I'm going to trip over my words a little bit, and I'm going to forget some of the notes that I took um, as I typed and then in turn redlined and crossed out and rewrote some things. So bear with me. Here is the talk, uh, with obviously some amendments because the audience is a little different. So at the beginning of the top, as usual in this kind of an environment where you don't get in front of uh, this group of people very often um, in, in mass, um, I, I introduce myself and my family, which I'm going to skip at this point in time and kind of dive into uh, what the segue was into the talk. One of my fascinations, as I have mentioned in the past, is with anime and other things that are of the Eastern Asian persuasion. And one of those is the symbol, the yin-yang. 
which is two parts of a whole. Uh, if you're a big fan of the Wheel of Time series, one of those parts is a teardrop, the other part is the dragon's fang. Um, a lot of times one is represented as white, the other one is represented as black. But in essence, the important part is that they're two parts of a whole. These next two scriptures are going to sound like potentially contradictions, but they're not. They're actually parts of the whole. One would be yin, yin, yang would be yang. One of them is located in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. This is a passage I've shared before and find very um, important to me. The next one, um, so key words from that is lean not unto thine own understanding. The next one is Doctrine and Covenants section 58, verse 26. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things, for he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. And uh, so this is, uh, the key here is, is, um, it, is it, lean, um, it is not meet that I should command in all things. Okay, so let's get past those two scriptures for a moment, this yin-yang. And let me talk a little bit about how my wife and I met and got engaged. This will all become... Uh, central to the topic of this talk soon. Um, my wife and I met in high school. We dated just a couple of times, and then I left on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, so I was gone for two years. Prior to that, I was gone for a year at college, where I also uh, did not see her during that period of time. After I returned home from my mission, uh, my wife and I, we um, started dating. And after two weeks of dating, so I'd been home from my mission for approximately three weeks, I felt something. I had a spiritual experience. And the spiritual experience was very simple. Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned this passage before, by small and simple things shall great things come to pass. This was simple. Uh, her family and my family lived about three blocks from each other. So driving to and from between our houses was a simple matter. It was a very short drive. But in that short drive after our second date, after I'd been home for three weeks, um, the message in my heart and in my mind was, pay attention. There is something there. This is important. So I did. I paid attention. A handful of weeks later, um, things were getting very serious between the two of us. Uh, now, instead of going on dates once a week or once every other week, uh, we were seeing each other every single day. We were dating as often as we possibly could. Um, and it was obviously getting very serious very quickly. And I didn't want to waste her time and my time if this was not going to go anywhere. And so uh, in, the, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have buildings, edifices that are called temples. And uh, these are sacred houses of the Lord. And this is one of the greatest places to get close to God. So um, I decided that this was a chance for me to ask some very, very important questions to my life. And so I, I pulled my mom aside and said, Mom, this is important to me. I really need some support. Can you come with me? And we're going to go to the temple and I'm going to pray about this. And so she agreed to come with and we did. Um, when I got there, I um, said some very earnest and sincere prayers, and I felt very confident that uh, if her and I got married, we would have a, um, a fulfilling life together. And uh, I, I know the cliche, she is the one, is, is um, overused and perhaps uh, underappreciated. But for me, this was one of those moments where it's like, okay, I am not wasting her time and she's not wasting mine. This could definitely go somewhere. So in the course of this prayer, uh, I said, 
something that I would discourage anyone else from saying um, because it was difficult, not because it was the wrong thing to do. And it was, I said, okay, Heavenly Father, well, if she's the one I'm going to marry, then just help me know when I should propose. So to put this back in uh, the frame, uh, I had been home from my mission for five weeks. We'd been dating seriously for only four of those weeks. And I even say seriously, we've really only dating seriously for two or three of those five weeks. Um, and I had known her for quite a few years, but really as acquaintances slash friends, um, not in any kind of serious romantic relationship, at least prior to my mission. Okay, so um, that is uh, leading then to um, what happened next. So the next day, I um, was taking her out to breakfast. I picked her up at her house, took her out to breakfast, was dropping her off at her work. And um, as soon as she got out of the car, I had one of the most strongest promptings I had ever received in my life. And that was, you have to propose to her today. And so I get home and I say, mom, I have to propose to her today. It's a spiritual feeling. I can't be blamed for this, but I have to listen. And so uh, went forth, bought a ring, made all the preparations to propose to her that day. Then what happened? I'm going to pause the story there, and I'm going to move on to something else. In Doctrine and Covenants section 111, um, there is a story in there that talks about the early leaders of the church. Joseph and the other elders of the church um, went to a place called Salem, uh, as they thought there might be a source there to help them with the church's debt. Uh, the, the church was in dire financial straits and they needed some extra money. So uh, they they felt that it was the right thing to do. So they went to this place, uh, to the Salem, and they were going to, um, along the way, they proselyted, and then they proselyted in Salem when they got there. Uh, so went there seeking for, for help, financial help for the church. Okay, so I'm going to pause the story there. I'm going to move on to an entirely different topic for a minute, and then this will all come back together. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard, um, again, and I'm a big nerd, I'm a big geek, um, I, and I'm fascinated with all things, and science is a big topic for me, uh, the scientific uh, method. So the scientific method is uh, composed of a handful of steps, uh, a question, a study, hypothesis, a test, an analysis, and a report. These are the key parts um, for uh, for a high, a, uh, the scientific method. Um, so the key, sorry, I'm stumbling over my own typing because apparently I was writing these notes really quickly and they're not making as much sense to me as I was hoping they would in a recount sort of way. Um, but those are the key parts of the scientific method. Anyone who's been to a science class knows what they are. So uh, a really awesome example, a real world, a relatively modern day example of the scientific method was the um, intentional discovery of Neptune and the rather unintentional discovery of Pluto. And it goes like this. Um, the astronomers were looking at the sky and they identified um, a, that Uranus at the time was the last known planet in the sky. So this is early 1800s. And they said, that orbit's wrong. Based off of its mass and the mass of all the other planets that are around it, um, so up to this point it would have been Saturn, uh, its, its orbit's wrong. So there's got to be something beyond it. So they did the math, they crunched the numbers, they figured out approximately where it should be, they started studying the night sky, and sure enough, uh, early 1800s, they find Neptune. Woohoo! We found it, we solved the problem, um, let's move on. So uh, scientific method. They identified uh, the question. The question was, is why is the orbit wrong? 
They studied the situation. They determined the mass may not be accurate uh, or, or, or be the cause, and so they need to find other, another planet. The hypothesis was there is something beyond uh, Uranus, and that might be another planet that's causing this. And so they performed a test, and the test ultimately led to them finding Neptune. Well, okay, so then there's a twist, and the twist is this. They looked at Neptune and they said, oh, based off of its mass and the mass of its neighboring planet Uranus, their orbits are both wrong. So there's got to be another planet. And this began the hunt for planet X, which ultimately led to a dead guy discovering Pluto in the early 1900s. And I say a dead guy because um, he continued to study the night sky and eventually did accidentally take a picture of Pluto, but it wasn't really discovered until after he had passed away. Now, after a lot of research in the late 1900s, uh, they discovered through some of the satellites they launched that the uh, the masses that were estimated for both Uranus as well as Neptune were incorrect. And after they recalculated them, they realized that there was no need for a planet beyond Neptune. There was no need for a, an explanation for their orbits. Um, come to find out uh, that between the two of them, their orbits are correct. Pluto is way too small to affect them in any way, shape, or form. So in this particular situation, the hypothesis ended up leading to um, a discovery of something that really didn't need to happen um, because uh, it was already... Uh, their, their orbits were already correct. Okay, um, another example of the scientific method, and this one was really exciting to me because somebody had told me about this years and years ago, and it wasn't until recently that I re-remembered it while I was preparing for this talk. And this is in Alma. This is in the Book of Mormon, the Book of Alma, chapter 32, and I'm going to be reading verses 24, 27, and 28. So uh, this is a, a prophet and his, uh, for lack of a better word, co-prophet, companion, uh, whatever you want to call it, Amla and or Amla the Younger and Amulek. And they're, they're teaching a people uh, who are, um, who in essence, they had fallen away from the church at the time and they were really struggling. And so Alma the Younger is teaching them something about faith. But um, within the body of this t this teaching, he teaches them about the scientific method. So if we start with verse 24, and I'm not going to read every bit of these verses, but I'll read parts of them. Um, in verse 24, it says, And now, my beloved brethren, as ye have desired to know of me what ye should do, because ye are afflicted and cast out. So this is the question. And we move on to verse 27. But behold, if you will awake and arouse your faculty, so this is the test, even to an experiment upon my words and exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you, even until ye believe in a manner that ye can give a place for a portion of my words. Verse 28. Now we will compare the word into a seed. So this is where we really expand the scientific method. We will compare the word to the seed. Now, if you give place that a seed may be planted in your heart, behold, if it be a true seed or a good seed, if you do not cast it out by your unbelief, that you will resist the spirit of the Lord, behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you fill these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that, it, that this is a good seed or that the word is good. For it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. So, um, he broke down this idea that, um, okay, well, what do I do? All right, well, first study, understand, have faith, perform this experiment, and then see the results. 
Okay, so this is a prophet in the Book of Mormon. His life was as prior to Christ by at least a few hundred years. This was translated by Joseph Smith in the uh, early 1800s with the conclusion of it in 1830. By conclusion, I mean the translation had finished. Um, and the scientific method uh, has been around for a while, uh, but different parts of the world uh, exercising it at once. So just kind of fascinating that they had it in here. So... Um, Let's now jump back to um, the Doctrine and Covenants uh, story that I was sharing before. So this is Doctrine and Covenants section 111. I'm pausing here for a minute. I feel like I'm sharing this in a very unsmooth fashion, so I apologize to the audience. Uh, When I shared this uh, across the pulpit, I I practiced it and rehearsed it a number of times, but again, that was four months ago, so I'm so sorry. Anyways, so Joseph, um, they were going to go to Salem. They were in need of some money. So the question from them, uh, from the standpoint of, um, uh, so, oh, I apologize. So yes, this is me not following my own wording. Um, There is a term here that uh, I want to share. This is a term that I feel like I can copyright, for lack of a better word. Um, When you blend together these different elements from these different stories and these different experiences, and then you blend them into the scientific method, um, especially when you're talking about spiritual things, you come up with something that I'm going to refer to as the, um, the hypothesis of faith. Um, the hypothesis is key, especially or specifically when you're referring to expected results. So this is key. This is critical because when we do something, we're expecting certain results. But faith says that you shouldn't expect certain results. You should just expect that God will provide you what he thinks is best. And so this is the hypothesis of faith. If we're commanded to do something, we should do it, not knowing what's going to happen on the other side, only that it's going to be in what God wants to have happen. So, hypothesis of faith. All right, so let's go to Joseph Smith. And uh, the question was, we're going to go help, uh, try to get help for the church financially. So, hypothesis number one, if I go to this place, the Lord will bless us with the money that we need. Hypothesis number two, if we go to this place, the Lord will bless us with what we need and or I have the faith that the Lord is sending us there for a reason known to him and going will fulfill that need. So this is the difference. The first hypothesis is I know what the conclusion is going to be. That can be dangerous. But the second one is the hypothesis of faith that says, I am going to go, and yeah, this is, the, this is what I'm hoping will happen, but I'm going to have enough faith to recognize that what God wants to have happen is ultimately going to have happen. So let's go ahead and conclude this. Doctrine and Covenants section 111, the final part of the story is, uh, in the end, they didn't get the money that they were seeking. There was no money there that they were hoping to find. What they did get was a great many converts then and later than um, than they ever thought they would ever get. And that came because they made the journey. Um, in Doctrine and Covenants section 111 verse 2, it specifically says, And I have much treasure in this city for you, for the benefit of Zion, and many people in this city whom I will gather out in due time for the benefit of Zion throughout your instrumentality. Verse 11, and I will order all things for your good as fast as you are able to receive them. Amen. So this is the awesome part about it is hypothesis of faith is that 
they grew because of this experience, but not in the way they thought they would. So let's go to the proposal between my wife and I. Um, so as I had mentioned, the morning of, I felt inspired, made all the arrangements. That evening, I proposed. And what ended up happening? She didn't have an answer for me. She didn't have an answer for two weeks. In fact, she was quite shocked that I had answer. She was very ill-prepared for this. Two weeks later, she said yes, which led to so many things from, from a wonderful family to a great home and place to live and an incredible amount of self-discovery. So I have to ask the question, if I had known the results, if I knew it was going to take two weeks, would I have still done it? Because I was prompted to. I would hope, looking back, that the answer is yes. But I do remember, I remember quite vividly, that the day after I proposed to her, I was asking myself those same questions. I was asking, why was I asked to propose if I wasn't going to get an answer? And it became incredibly obvious to me. Even if she had said no, God had told me to propose to her for a reason known to him. And that should be enough for me. And it was enough for me. And it made it so that I could last the two weeks or longer if it meant two weeks or longer until she eventually said yes. And the results have been absolutely fantastic. And so again, the hypothesis of faith. Um, at the end of all of the talks, we typically end with a testimony. And a testimony is a witness. And I witness that if we are willing to have the courage to have this testimony of faith, that when we're told to do something, even if it doesn't make sense to us, even if the world disagrees with it, even if our own senses say, this is insanity, I've been home for five weeks, I've only been dating her for four, and I'm being asked to propose to her, <laughs> right, we should do it anyway. Um, because God knows far more than we do, and he's far more wise than we are. And he's asking us to do it because he knows something we don't, and that should be enough for us. I have one uh, small story to share that wasn't in the talk, but I'm going to conclude with this um, because it's, it's going to be a cliffhanger because I don't know how it ends. Um, my wife and I were at uh, Costco, which is like a big box, um, like grocery style store. Uh, it's been a while now. It's been over six months to a year. And um, we, uh, I am not a person who carries cash. I don't like to carry cash because it makes my wallet too bulky. And uh, I, I don't like handling it. I, I was a teller at a bank for a while and it's dirty, uh, literally dirty, and it makes you sick. So if I can avoid handling cash, I do. But this was one of those rare occasions where I had cash on me. And uh, we were checking out. And for anyone who's been to a Costco, everyone knows that it's never cheap. And so it was just the wife and I. We didn't have our kids with us. And uh, I was, we were checking out. Um, the wife had just taken the cart and was walking away. I had just paid. And I felt that I needed to give the teller all of the cash that I had on me to pay for the person who was coming after us. I have no idea who this person was. And it was one of the most oddly embarrassing things because I was torn. It's like, really? Um, 
I could use this money for something else, or this person doesn't act like they need it. And this totally is going to disrupt everything. And we're still in the pandemic, handling cash is something nobody else wants to do either. And it kept prompting and I, and it kept hitting me. And I finally was just like, you know what? Fine. <laughs> I'm going to do it. And so I had already paid. I was beginning to walk away. The person was just loading their stuff on the little conveyor belt to the teller and, or to the cashier. And I turned to the cashier and I handed them my money. And they were like, well, you already paid. I've already done the transaction. And I remember looking at him going, I just feel like I need to give this money to that person. So can you use this towards their... Um, towards their groceries. And the guy just looked at me and said, yeah, I guess so. And I said, okay, thanks. And I walked away. And as long as I live, I will never know why I was asked to. And I'm okay with that. Um, hypothesis of faith. So have faith. Faith that you're not that you're going to get the conclusion you want, but have faith that um, when you're commanded to do something, God knows more than you will and more than you do, and that he's going to make sure that the outcome is what he wants. Thanks, everyone, for listening.